Today we commence a new series for the preaching and teaching at Whole Church Gatherings over the next few weeks and I assume months, uh, entitled I Am. We're going to focus on the I Am statements of Jesus, especially from the Gospel of John. In John's Gospel, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth and the life, I am the true vine. Some of you will have heard these already, some of you maybe not, but why don't you go ahead into John's gospel? Why don't you go ahead into John's gospel over the um, next few weeks and look at I am statements, dig them out for yourself, it'd be a great thing to do. But for today, and to introduce this, we're going to go much further back in the story of God to think about the very foundation of these I am declarations, and that's what they are, these I am declarations. And for that, we need to go to the book of Exodus. Exodus is an essential place to go if we want to understand the the saving purposes of God. And through the Exodus narrative, we see the plans and the purposes that God has for the salvation of his chosen ones. To understand what God has done and is doing for us as believers in Jesus, it's very helpful to know the Exodus story as it is recorded in the book of Exodus itself. But if you, if you, um, you'll start to notice if you read the Bible for a while that the Exodus is threaded throughout the whole text. It's everywhere. I think John, or whoever was authoring John, uh, is thinking a lot about the Exodus story. Exodus is the account of God taking the initiative to rescue and redeem his people who were enslaved and to bring them to the place First of all, we think he's bringing them to the promised land. He's bringing them out so that they may worship him. Then to bring them into the place of rest. This is his heart. God rescues, he redeems to bring into rest. These are the core elements of the salvation of God that he wants to provide for us. Rescue, redemption, rest. So let's now read from Exodus chapter 2. And three. Sorry. Uh, Starting in chapter two. And I want you to notice the words or the idea of groaning and covenant and generational transfer. Pick that up, groaning and covenant. So Exodus 2.23, now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant, 
with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. It's a bit of a mystery, but there's some place where our groan meets God's deliverance. Our groaning meets God's response. And if you listen to people's testimonies, and I've listened to many, I've listened to them very hard to see the patterns and to see the salvation of God. And there's, there's always a place where their groan comes up and then it meets God's response. Into chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was not burned with fire, but the, sorry, but the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their pain. To perceive, to distinguish, to recognize, to acknowledge, to be acquainted with, I'm coming down because I know their pain. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of, and this listed all the enemies. Now, verse 9, Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The sign came after the obedience to follow through and being sent. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I've come to the children of Israel and said to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they said to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Three thirteen to 15 says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and said to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they said to me, What is his name? What is his name? What shall I say to them? What is that question really about? That question being, What is his name? Why is that question so, so very important? Why is the name of God so important. Well, names do various things. First of all, names identify. They mark out your identity and my identity from others. You would not give all your children 
the same first name. That would be very confusing. Although, although I heard of a family uh, in Scotland, the father was called Donald, and he called all his sons, and I think I'm looking for the person who's the source of the story. I think he had a large number of sons, and he called every one of them Donald, but he gave them a second name, Donald John or Donald Paul or Donald whatever, Donald Duck. He, he, <laughs> he Donald this, Donald that, Donald the other. But names identify, they distinguish, they separate out our identity from another. That's the first thing. Names reveal personal relationship. There are people who I am not on first name terms with, and I assume the same for yourself. There's people who I don't use their first name until I get to know them well. That's not who they are in my life. They're not on first name terms. And then there are people that I have names of, or nicknames, or names of endearment for. Uh, I understand them, they understand them. Um, Often the names we use for different people reveals the different level or the different kind of relationship that we have. So that's the second thing names do. Names also can really describe a person. In history, names often described what people were like, where they were from, or what they did, or what they were good at. I assume there's someone in my line that was good at painting. I'm not. And in the Bible especially, a name described the character or the nature of a person. Naming and renaming of people and places was very prophetic and powerful, not just powerful, power-filled. In the naming and the renaming, there was an empowering. So names do various things. Therefore, we would want to understand the name that God chooses to be known by. And the answer to Moses' question is in Exodus 3.13. Or the, the, the question, Exodus 13, is very important. And God's answer in 14 is, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And 15b of Exodus 3 says, moreover, God said to Moses, this is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. God is saying, by this name, I will be known and remembered to all generations. If you didn't know already, and I don't know whether you've thought much about it, I've thought a lot about it. Generational transfer is really important to God. God planned and wanted blessing to flow down the generations. And of course, that can be spoiled, but God God has a plan to remedy that. And that's why it's important to know that when God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is really keen and really in to generational transfer. And thank God for people who can say, in this room who can say, he broke into my generation because if the pattern had it kept going, where would it have ended? In disaster and distress of all kinds. God can break into the generation. And instead of there being generational cursing, there can be generational blessing when the I am, the great I am, steps in. So, I am who I am, or it could be said, I will be who I will be. Eternal. 
ever existing, ever present. And this I am that I am, or I am who I am statement is the foundation from which we get the name, the word Yahweh in our Bibles. And it's used 6,800 times in the scriptures. And if the word is capitalized as the Lord in most English translations. And Yahweh is interchangeable with Jehovah. Yahweh and the Hebrew word to be sound very similar. And through this name, especially in the unfolding story of Exodus, God is going to demonstrate that he is and that the gods of Egypt are not. Ultimately, that is what the ten plagues are about. They're not random plagues. If you dig a little deeper, God was demonstrating to the Egyptians and to the Pharaoh that he is and their gods are not. But this name, I am who I am, conveys more than just existence of God. It speaks of the total essence of God. As uh, Andrew Wilson shows in his simple but amazing book of reflections on the character of God called Incomparable, I'm referencing that and mentioning it because on purpose, if any teenager or new disciple asks me for a copy of that book, I'll give it to them, no problem. It's a great book, Reflections on the Character of God called Incomparable. He says this name means not only that God exists, but that God matters. That's what it reveals. Because dictators believe that God exists. We're hearing about dictators and their, and their uh, the, the spiritual uh, identity that some of them have that may be making them do things in our world today. They believe that God exists, but does who God is matter to them? Their actions say not. Because when we discover the significance of the name, I am who I am, and indeed all the names of God, and there are many, our worship and our praying grows and deepens. This matters. Some of the things that I'm saying have already come out in prayer this morning. If you were listening, Jesus was asked by one of his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. And how did Jesus reply? He taught them. And Jesus will teach us too if we ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. I think that's the first and most important prayer. And it's what we need to be praying now. And it's what we are doing. We are going to keep coming back. And I say we, I'm speaking in household now. We're going to keep coming back and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Because there comes a point when the spirit of prayer comes upon the people who ask this question and anything can happen. And how did he teach his disciples to pray? He taught them to say, Our Father, the one in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Prayer according to Jesus is about desiring that the name of Father God be honored, is honored. 
This is worship. To separate in our hearts and in our minds the one whose name is I am. And prayer starts with the posture of worship. What is the posture of worship? Nearly everywhere in the scriptures where the word worship is mentioned, the posture is bowing. Bowing of the head, bowing of the upper body, or indeed prostrating oneself completely. Look at it. It's a really interesting thing to do. Get your cordons out, go to worship, and then see what people are doing in and around that word. There's one or two places that it's not. The New Testament word is to move to, is also to move towards to kiss. To move towards to kiss. And prayer, before we ask for anything, is worship. But also in prayer, when we know and honor the name of God, we will know what we can and what we should expect from him. I think this is an issue in our praying. is because we don't know God. So we therefore don't know what we can expect from him and ask from him. And this is why I believe Jesus starts us by focusing us on the name of the Father. Because if we know the name of the Father, we will know all the things that we can ask. And the more you get to know the name of God, the, the, the more it will deepen and broaden and lengthen your prayer list. I'm not saying you have to have a prayer list. But the more you get to know the name of God, the, the, the more you'll pray about because you'll realize God can do something about this. It's not just a random... Praying is not a random act. How specific are your prayers? How detailed are they? And are they on the margin of your own capacity, of your own ability? Please, no. So we've already considered the foundations of the name of God in Exodus, but this is why to enrich our prayer life, we need to know the story of God, need to know the scriptures well. And as I've already said, the name Yahweh is built upon or flows from this I am who I am name. And there are several places in the Bible where the Holy Spirit adds something to this name, Yahweh, to help us further understand who this Yahweh is. And we could call these compound names. And it is, I've already said, I repeat again, it would be very helpful. It is very helpful in our worshiping and in our praying to get to know the names of God. And I'm just going to mention three of them in a little bit more detail and then mention the rest of them. There are a number of them. The first one I want to mention uh, is Yahweh Yara or Jehovah Jara or the Lord will provide. I spent the, every Sunday for the first 15 years of my life staring at these words over the shoulders of men in pinstripe suits. Uh, the words Jehovah Jireh were painted in lovely calligraphy. It was, it was almost 3D and the way it was painted and 
on the wall of the assembly that we as a family attended. And I just stirred and stirred at them. And I now love these two words, Jehovah Jireh. I actually couldn't get through life without them, literally. Literally. Could not get through life without these two words. And they're taken from Genesis 22, 13 to 14. And in the context, Abraham has been asked to give the thing that God gave him. The promise that was fulfilled. And Abraham obeyed God, full of faith. He obeyed God. And we don't have time to unpack that whole story of Abraham and Isaac going up onto the mountain. But in 13.14 says, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide it, literally the Lord will see to it. The Lord will see to it that provision is made. You might not see it until the very last moment before you need it, but the Lord has already seen to it because that's his name. Now, so what provision do you need? Now, I know that this is um, speaking ultimately to the provision of Jesus as our substitute. And you really need to know that. You really need to know that. But this applies to everything and anything. If you can do... No, I think you can't. You cannot obey God without God putting you in the position where you're going to need provision of some kind. Lots of times, for me, it has been material and financial. But it's not only that. There's all kinds of provision that is needed. And the Lord will see to it. Where do you need the Lord to provide right now? Let's make this real. We're not, I'm just not going to get hurtled to the end of what my talk, my prepared talk. We're going to call upon the name of the Lord. We're going to ask the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, to be made known to you. What is your need? Now, you don't have to shout it out, unless you want to shout it that way. Because probably, if you shout it this way, we can't do anything about it. Maybe we can. But would it not be even greater to see the Lord supernaturally, miraculously show himself as your provider? So let's just take a minute. What provision do you need? Now, have you been specific? Have you been honest? Father in heaven, may your name, Jehovah Jireh, be hallowed for the people that are praying to you right now. 
Amen. I love hearing testimonies about this name, Jehovah Jireh. Um, if you have any, come and share them with me. And I'll show you some of mine. That's a good way to build faith, is to tell others about how God provided. That's the first one. The second one that I want to just expand a little bit is Yahweh Rapha or Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And you find this name in Exodus fifteen twenty six. As I said, it's good to get to know the Exodus story. The people are led forward into the wilderness and they're at a place of bitterness. Before very long, they are grumbling and complaining because of this bitterness. And God provides sweet waters out of the bitter. And in there, at that time, he gives them the revelation, not only that God heals, but that he is healer. Now, the subject of healing can be very controversial in the church, in any church. And I have seen some great healings and I have seen some great non-healings as well that are flooded and filled with mystery. And we don't have time, I don't have time to speak about this sensitively enough and carefully enough rather. But the scriptures, all of them, reveal that God is a healer, including healing of the brokenhearted for those who prayed for their loved ones who weren't healed. I'm going to be so careful about this. But do you need healing? Body, soul, or spirit? We're going to call now, we're going to pray now to Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who is our healer. One day he's going to heal absolutely everything. It's going to be the restoration and the restitution of all things. But again, if you want to build your faith in this area, find someone with a testimony of healing. Pray with them. You'll see great things. Father, we pray. May your name be honored. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. Heal body. Heal soul, heal spirit, heal the brokenhearted, heal the grieving. Pour in, Lord God, turn every bitterness in our life to sweetness. Lord, we have a testimony in your holy word that says that you can do this. Do that for us. Amen. The third one. The Lord is peace, Yahweh Shalom, Jehovah Shalom. After the Exodus, the Lord led the children of Israel through the wilderness into the land of promise. There had to be a conquest. There always need to be conquest into the promises of God. And then, so that's Moses doesn't go into the land. Joshua leads them in. But after Joshua's day, the people are settled in the land, but they keep returning to worship idols. 
They keep turning away from the I am who I am. They keep turning back to these other lesser gods. And this meant that they kept being harassed by the Lord's enemies, including the Midianites. And we teach these stories in Sunday school. How I know this, we teach it in our Sunday school, is that one Sunday afternoon, my second boy asked for some sweets. And I said, no, not until lunchtime. And he says, you're a, you're a, you're a Midianite. I was like, the, the worst name he could think up without cursing. <laughs> but the Midianites were oppressing the people, and Gideon, who you may know of, was hiding from them, and he was threshing wheat in a wine press, and he had an encounter with the I am who I am God. And for the sake of time, we just go straight to... Judges 6, 22. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, shalom. Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. Not the Lord gives peace. The Lord is peace. This is why knowing the names is so important. It's not just, these are not just gifts that he gives. This is the character that he has. This is who he is. Peace. We think that peace is the absence of something usually. If someone would go away, just give my head a bit of peace. We think that peace is the absence of war, for instance. But real peace, God's peace, is the presence of someone. It's not about absence, it's about presence. And Gideon was about to discover that real peace is not the absence of conflict. Because he was going to be led, directed, thrown (laughs) into a very great conflict. But in the conflict, he would know the presence of Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. Do you need peace? Do you need, of course you do, we all need peace. What do you need peace about? Who do you need peace for as well? It may not be the absence of conflict. In fact, the Lord may lead you into conflict to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. But let's invite Jehovah Shalom, shall we? What's that thing that's disturbing your peace? I have some things that are disturbing my peace right now, and therefore I'm not in the place I should be in this. Father God, may your name, the Lord is peace, be honored. Come bring your peace. Come be peace.
There are a number of other compound names of God that reveal who he is, and maybe we'll look at them at another time. There's the Lord who sanctifies. There's the Lord our shepherd, the Lord our banner, the Lord who is there, the Lord our righteousness. But I want to finish with two texts from John's Gospel. John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And John seventeen six. And Jesus is praying to the Father. And he said, I have manifested your name to men, or to the men, to humanity, who you have given me out of the world. I have manifested, declared, revealed, shown your name. That includes all the names that God has ever chosen to be identified by. I have manifested your name to the men, the humanity you have given me out of the world. The name of God, the names of God were revealed at various times and places to various people. Did you notice that it's always in a real concrete kind of uh, scenario where people needed to know God, that a name of God is revealed? This is not theory. This is faithful practice. The name of God was revealed at various times and to various people in various places. But Jesus, the anointed one, supremely and completely and perfectly and totally reveals the names of God. Jesus has come down. Did you pick that up in Exodus? When God says, I have come down in response to the groan of the people because I know their pain. Jesus has come down to reveal the name of the I am who I am. So let's look to him. Let us look onto, look away from ourselves, look away from our situation, look away from our shame, look away from our inadequacies, look away from our misplaced beliefs. I believe some stuff that's wrong. I just don't know it yet. Look away from that stuff to the originator and completer of our faith.